Thanks so much for joining us today on Leesburg Community Church's podcast. If you'd like more information about our church, including directions and service times, please visit leesburgcc.org. On our website, you can also find notes and daily devotionals based on this teaching. Thanks again for joining us, and we hope you liked today's message. We are looking at Romans chapter 8, 1 through 17. And Romans chapter 8 has been called throughout the ages, it's been called the glorious chapter, the beautiful chapter, the, uh, the all-encompassing chapter, the all-you-need chapter, the, it's been called so many different things. Uh, many pastors will spend literally three to four months just working their way through chapter 8, and uh, there are volumes of books written out there just on chapter 8 alone. It is literally the hallmark and the foundation we can find, or that we can find in it, the hallmark and the foundation of our faith. There's so many theological imperatives in it that we can, we can literally anchor ourselves. We can tie ourselves, if you will, to the footings of chapter 8 and be secure in our walk with Christ. So um, what I'm attempting to do this morning is, is extremely difficult, and uh, I'm going to uh, obviously not do it incredibly well. We will go back to it at some other time, and we're going to take a, a lengthy time and, and do a deep dive. But what I also want to challenge you in is don't wait for us. Don't wait for us to get to a place as a church that we can do a deep dive into just one chapter. If you have never, or if it's been a while since you have studied chapter 8 of Romans, I'm just going to give you the challenge right now. Go study it. And if you're like, hey, I don't have any resources, we will pile you with resources. I will get you whatever you need to be able to study Romans chapter 8. It is that amazing of a book, and it is that uh, amazing of a life-changing uh, chapter in, uh, in the book of Romans for us as we walk through it. So I, I hope you will take me up on that offer. I hope you will begin to study this chapter, and I hope it will be a blessing to you. So we've started, the series has started with, we're calling it This Is Us. Now we've had a series in the past where we've called it This and Us, This Is Us, and we'll have another series that we'll call it This Is Us. We just need to take time each year and in the cycle of the year to say, hey, who are we and what is it that we're doing? And it's more than just a Vision Sunday talking about some of the particulars you might be doing in our church. It's really, who are we as followers of Christ? Who are we as Christians? How did we get that name? What does it mean to call ourselves a follower of Christ or a Christian? And what is it that we should be about? Now, not just what is it that we should be about at Leesburg Community Church. What is it that the church that belongs to Christ should be about throughout all, all time? And so we're going to take a good look at that over these next few weeks. We're going to remind ourselves why we do some of the things around here that we do, that they're, they're based in Scripture. They're by the call of God that we would do these things, and they're based upon who we are in Him. And so really, that's where we wanted to start this morning as we started this series, is we wanted to start with, we belong to Christ. And if you're going to go, oh, okay, yeah, I knew that one. No, that was, a, that was a good one. Great. Glad I came to church. No, no, Seriously. We belong to Christ. That's our foundation for everything. Everything of who we are and what we do as followers of Jesus Christ stems from the fact that we belong to Christ. And it wasn't a belonging just because we one day woke up and said, you know what? I need a little religion and I should have a little Jesus. And that pastor did a pretty good message. So yeah, I'm in. And every once in a while, we got some good songs to sing and that's a good thing too. Great. No, 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 not even remotely close. You actually had very little to do with the process. You're like, well, yeah, I had everything. No, really. 
God stepped in and did the work for us. And then he called you into a relationship. He literally prod, pulled, and called you into a relationship with him. And then he gave you the faith to believe in him. Because you ever thought about it? Without him giving you the faith, this stuff is crazy. I mean, seriously, this stuff is crazy. And without the faith that he'll give you to surrender your life to him. Come on, you know how we are. We're going to talk about it in a minute, but we're the, we're the kings and captains of our own life, right? That's what makes most sense. That, that's what we can deal with most rationally. And the faith in Jesus Christ calls us to abandon that because he abandoned his life because of his great love for us. And so now we abandon to him and he gives us the faith. That's the only way we believe. And so let's walk through that today. As quickly as we can, uh, we're going to do an overview of this chapter. We could have looked at some other passages, and I just really felt the Lord saying this one. Sit here today. And so that's why we're where we are. So the first thing I want to bring up is just that. We belong to Christ. And we find it in Romans 8, verses 1 through 4. So read that with me. Therefore, there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Because through Christ Jesus, the law of the Spirit who gives life, has set you free from the law of sin and death. For what the law was powerless to do because it was weakened by the flesh, God did by sending his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh to be a sin offering. And so he condemned sin in the flesh in order that the righteous requirement of the law might be fully met in us, who do not live according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. It starts out by saying that there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. And the reason why it says that is because there is condemnation for all those who are not in Christ Jesus. There's condemnation for all of those who live by the flesh. And every single one of us, no matter where we are in our walk with Christ, at one time, we were a person who walked by the flesh. And the flesh was destined for death. The flesh pursued death. The flesh pursued everything that was unrighteous. It pursued its selfish motivations and set up its own law, the law that would please itself. And as we ran after that, we were separated from God. As we ran after that, we became enemies of God, which we're going to look at in a second. But God did not leave us alone to our own demise. He never once left us alone. He always intended that Jesus Christ would show up on the scene and pay that flesh debt. Now, what I really want to focus on here is that you belong to Christ, not because the word in there says you belong to Christ, not because that phrase is there. You belong to Christ because of what Christ did on the cross. Jesus, who was fully God, the eternal God, came in human likeness. He came in flesh. And as he came in flesh, he paid the price for each one of us who walked in our flesh. Now, let me explain that even further. See, as we walked in our flesh, we were disobedient to God, like I said a minute ago, but Jesus walked in his flesh and was never disobedient to God's law, was never disobedient to that which God said was righteous and holy, never once chose his own way over God's way, never happened, which meant that in his flesh, he was completely holy and righteous. Now, That means that in order for him to pay a penalty for anything more than another person, he had to be the eternal God. Let me walk you through that just a little bit more. He had to pay 
of flesh debt for our flesh debt. You see, by us going against God and living in our flesh, we said we want our own way, then we got our own way, which was death. We got to live in the death that we were perpetuating in our own life. We got to move away from life, which is God himself, and pursue our own death march. And Jesus came in the flesh, lived perfectly, and so that in order to pay that death penalty that was on us because of living in our flesh, he had to die in his flesh so that his flesh would pay that penalty. See, it was a flesh uh, sin, so a flesh sin had to be paid because he was perfect and righteous. And you're like, okay, I get that. I get that. Now, he had to be eternal. He had to be truly God. Otherwise, the best he could hope for was to pay one person's penalty. So if he was only a man, just a man, then assuming that he could have lived according to the law, which this scripture says we couldn't live according to the law, the law exposed our sin, exposed our true motives, which were to please us and not to please God, is what the law exposed in us. Well, let's just assume he could, then he would have the opportunity to pay one penalty. So he could pay just penalty, but not Lisa's. He could pay Kevin's penalty, but not Jenny's. He could pay Matt's penalty, but not Meredith's. You see where I'm going with this? You can only pay one penalty. But because he was fully God, eternal, he was yesterday, today, and forever, then he could pay that penalty, that price, that flesh debt that was due for all time. And that meant that anyone who believed in him and surrendered their life to him and said, yes, I want that debt to be paid on my, my behalf, could have that. They could move from death to life, but it was bought. They were literally ransomed, which is why we say we belong to Christ. Literally, there was a price of his flesh that was paid. The God of the universe, the holy, righteous God that never made one mistake, came, stepped into our time, our space, and paid this debt so that by his blood, by his flesh, we would be bought and become and belong to the Father who created us. He created us for righteousness and holiness. We pursued death and pain, and selfishness, and he stepped back in and bought us back to his own. Use whatever analogy you want. Use whatever illustration you want. That's craziness. That is selflessness. That is a loving, that is a love that we have never experienced outside of Christ himself. We come close maybe as fathers and mothers ourselves, but we stop, don't we? We stop short, and our, 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 our mother and father heart want to scream, no, we don't stop short. Yes, we do. We won't do everything that's required. We won't pay the entire debt. We won't make it so that even though the debt is paid and we know that our kids will do the exact same thing the next day, you wouldn't go to jail for your son or daughter knowing that tomorrow they'll do the same crime. You wouldn't do it. You see, we stop short. But the loving, perfect father, the eternal one, the one who says, I want you to belong to me. And as you belong to me, I'm going to give you my spirit to ensure that you will always know that you're mine and that I will always be with you. And you will never again be out and apart from me, but I will always be with you. He said, I will do this 
on behalf so that you will belong to me. If that doesn't cause your foundation to become secure, then we need to do a lot more talking. If you don't, if we have to start there because that's where everything begins. That by his great love, he gave this amazing and paid this amazing price on our behalf, a price that we couldn't pay. It secures us because it's not because we did something good to deserve it. It is simply because he loved us that much to buy us back from our selfish ways. You say, hey, hey, I wasn't really that selfish. I'm not that bad. Then we just need to be reminded where we were before Christ. And so that's the next part we look at in Romans 8 because Paul was dealing with the same thing. He goes, let me remind you. Yes, there's no condemnation for those that are in Christ. You are no longer condemned. You have life. And that means that in other parts, Paul says that each time it's as if Christ is crucified again, that his flesh is crucified again on our behalf. That means yesterday when you... You made that mistake and you lived selfishly. He was crucified again for you. That means this morning when you lived selfishly and you did, he was crucified again for you. That means that earlier this morning, during the 8 o'clock, 8.30 service, when I was just a little bit grumpy and my heart wasn't on worship or the Lord, and, and I was thinking some pretty crummy thoughts about somebody. The, yeah. He paid the price one more time for me so that I could get my heart right so that I could be united with him, never again separate, so I could leave the selfish ways that I was tied and enslaved to. And so Paul says, let me remind you of who you were. Romans 8, 5 through 8 says this, we were dead and slaves to the flesh. See, those who live according to the flesh have their minds set on what the flesh desires. But those who live according, in accordance with the spirit have their minds set on what the spirit desires. The mind governed by the flesh is death. But the mind governed by the spirit is life and peace. The mind governed by the flesh is hostile to God. It does not submit to God's law, nor can it do so. That's why we call us, that's why we say we're slaves. It's because not only did we not have our minds on the things of God, not only were we hostile to God, but we could not submit to his law. Even if we randomly did a few nice things, even if we did a couple good things here or there, even if we had the streak where we were pretty nice people, we could not submit ourselves to the law of Christ because it flew in the face of our own law and God. It came against us because the law we live by was the law that pleased us. The law that we lived by was the law that promoted us and what we wanted and our desires. And so to live by God's law would be to put to death our law, and we weren't willing to do that. Those who are in the realm of the flesh cannot please God. That's where we were. That's who we were. And we, we can't forget. Because sometimes we forget that we belong to Christ. And sometimes we forget that there's no condemnation for those who are in Christ. And sometimes we forget that we once pursued the selfish nature, but that we were slaves and we forget that now that we belong to Christ, we are no longer slaves to that. And we need to be rooted in the fact that Christ, while we were still sinners, Christ, while we were still pursuing our own, Christ, while we were still pursuing our own, our, our, our own law and our own selfishness, he stepped into our time, into our space, and he died for us freely as a gift of grace and as a gift of mercy. See, we did not deserve for him to do that, but he did it. We did not deserve for him to pay that price, but he did it. What we did deserve was death, which was the penalty that was upon us, and we deserved to actually pay it, but his mercy poured over us, and we did not have to pay that debt. 
that was paid for us. And, and, but we didn't suddenly become good enough. He didn't say to us, hey, I need you to do 45 good things to make up for the 44 uh, really crummy things you did. And now you're going to be one on the positive side. Whoa, we're good. We're back together. He did not say that because we were slaves to our own unrighteousness and we could not do it. Instead, he stepped in and did it for us. And he said, I simply receive you as my son or my daughter, which we're going to get to in a minute. I bought you at a price, the price of myself. And there is now no condemnation. No matter who you were, there is now no condemnation for you that you are in Christ, which means, yes, when you blow it, my grace is sufficient. Yes, when you make your way back to that selfish nature and you, for, and you fail to resist and to fight, my grace is sufficient. My mercy will constantly overflow. That is where we have to sink our feet into and be grounded, that the Condemnation that comes for those that are not in Christ does not come upon those that are in Christ. We never again live in condemnation. We live in mercy and in grace and in forgiveness. And we live with the Holy Spirit guiding us towards life. And why is that so critical? <laughs> because it will take an entire lifetime. And we will make plenty of blunders and we will fail miserably. And we will choose the selfish path instead of the righteous one. And the Lord said, I know. And I'm going to be with you. And my grace and mercy is sufficient. Now live with me. Now live with me. So by belonging to Christ, we realize who we were. But now we need to understand that we are alive in the spirit and the spirit is within us. That we now live. It's not just enough to know that we are belong to Christ. It's not enough to know that there is grace and mercy. But we now live in the Spirit and the Spirit is within us. We live with the power of the Spirit in our lives. Listen to, read with me uh, 8, 9 through 13. You, whoever, you, however, are not in the realm of the flesh, but are in the realm of the Spirit. If indeed the Spirit of God lives in you, let me pause for a second because we're going to see that if. If you want to circle that in your outline, all the different ifs, that's not a doubt. That's not a, hey, maybe this happens. That's not a wondering, hey, if this should happen to come about. It doesn't mean that at all. It literally means if as indeed is the case. So you could actually replace, replace that with the phrase, if as indeed it is the case. So let me read that sentence I just read. You, however, are not in the realm of the flesh, but are in the realm of the spirit. If, as indeed is the case, the spirit of God lives in you. Do you see how that works? Do you see how that works? That the spirit of God lives in us so that because of what Christ did, because we don't live in the realm of the flesh anymore, it's because the spirit of God lives within us. And if anyone, as indeed is the case, does not have the spirit of Christ in him, they do not belong to Christ. If the Spirit is not within you, then you do not belong to Christ. But if, as indeed is the case, Christ is in you, then even though your body, which is subject to death because of sin, the Spirit gives life because of righteousness. And if, as indeed is the case, the Spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead is living in you, he who raised Christ from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies because of his Spirit who lives in you. Therefore, brothers and sisters, we have an obligation, but it is not to the flesh to live according to it. For if, as indeed is the case, you live according to the flesh, you will die. But if, as indeed is the case, by the Spirit, you put to death 
the misdeeds of the body, you will live. And I realize that's a, that's a lot. So let me try to just summarize it real fast. Upon receiving the grace and mercy of Jesus Christ, the Spirit of God indwells us. And so we can say this, that as Jesus promised, if you love me, you will do what I say in John 14. Then I'll ask my Father and he will give you another helper. And he will be with you forever. What an amazing promise. And he will be with you forever. And he is the spirit of truth. The world cannot receive him. It does not see him or know him. You know him because he lives with you and will be with you. For all those who believe and receive the mercy and grace of Jesus Christ, he promised to send the Spirit of God to live and dwell within us, to, with us, to seal us for all eternity, to teach us that which is true, and to show us how to live this new life. And every single moment that somebody says yes to Jesus Christ, that promise is fulfilled. To know Christ is to have the, and to have the Spirit is the same thing. To know Christ and to have the Spirit in you is the same thing. To say yes to Jesus Christ, the Spirit immediately indwells you and you begin to live with him. Here's a couple uh, expressions that are synonyms within this passage. Being in the Spirit is the same thing as having the Spirit in us. Sometimes we think of those two things as different, that we would act differently or, or, or that we would have some sort of a, we tend to think maybe even as an emotional response. To be in the Spirit is the same thing as having the Spirit dwell within you. If the Spirit dwells within you, then we can live in the power and control of the Holy Spirit, which is exactly what this passage is saying. While you were once controlled and slaves to the sinful nature and your sinful desires and the flesh, by saying yes to Jesus, the Spirit has indwelled you, and now you are under the control and the authority and the guidance and the care of the Spirit the moment you said yes. He'll never leave you nor forsake you. He will always guide you towards righteousness and away from selfishness. This is the hallmark of what it means to be a follower of Christ. That's why we're starting here. Some people have come to me, how do you, how do you, how do you know? How, do you, how can you be sure that you're, you know, that I'm, that I'm saved? I'm like, well, you're asking that question, which has given me a pretty good indication that you are. And I go, but the Spirit is in you. Yeah, I mean, I can't see, I can't touch, I can't feel. And I'm like, yeah. Do you read the Word of God and it becomes known to you? Well, there's some tough parts. I go, yeah, I know. Do you read the Word of God and it becomes clear as you read it? And you can read it with somebody and it becomes clear. You, you get an understanding of how to, yeah, yeah. Are you, are you walking down the street sometimes and go, oh, man, I shouldn't act that way or I shouldn't be this way? Yeah. Do, do you find that... that in your time of need where normally you'd be like running out of control, there's this, there's, this, there's this peace that is there. You don't quite know how to put your finger on what that is. There's this hope that you, you run through life with now. Yeah. And it's because you belong to Christ. And the moment you said yes, the Holy Spirit indwelled you. Now you're going to spend a, a lifetime learning how to live fully in that. But the Spirit of God is within you, calling you each and every moment of your life towards a deeper, more intimate relationship with him. Because he wants to change your life. He wants to transform your life into the likeness of Christ. So once we understand that that's the hallmark, that's the distinguishing mark of, of, a, of a person of Christ, then Paul points out two consequences of having the Spirit indwell you. Two consequences. The first one is that even in death we live. 
The first one is that even in death we live. That the Holy Spirit is literally the seal of our eternal destiny. It's the seal that while our bodies, our mortal bodies are perishing here, and we cannot deny that, right? Wake up one morning, <laughs> I'm out, right? And so it's, it's literally, we know that our bodies are decaying. We know that we're having trouble. We have people around us, there's sickness and disease all around us. We know that. Listen to what, listen to what Dr., uh, Dr. Lloyd-Jones said, who was a physician and a pastor. He said, the moment we enter into this world, we begin to live, we also begin to die. Your first breath is one of the last you will ever take. The principle of decay leading to death is in every one of us. And so the passage we just read says, but if Christ is in you, even though your body is subject to death because of sin, the spirit gives life because of righteousness, because of what Christ did and the way he stands before us righteously. He stands before the father righteously, taking our penalty and our shame and our consequences because of that righteous act, we are now given life. And that life is sealed with the life-giving Spirit of God so that we will always be guaranteed life. It's as if you have this constant oxygen mask over you that you can never run out of breath. That as long as you are in the Spirit and the Spirit is within you, which is guaranteed from the moment you say yes throughout all eternity, you will live and breathe with the Father. Now on this earth, our mortal bodies, our, our mortal existence will perish. But our spirit will live. But not just our spirit. Remember what it says. And if the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead is living in you, he who raised Christ from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies because of his spirit who lives in you. So we're not just promised that our spirit will live on into eternity. We are promised that our bodies will raise to life just as the body of Christ rose to life. That we will be made new, will be transformed, will be transformed into a glorious body, one that doesn't have the pain or the difficulty. And, and man, I'm telling you, sometimes when I wake up, my knees don't want to work or, or whatever that happens to be, I am so thankful that we will one day be in a glorious state where the pain of this life, the decay of this life, the difficulty of this life, the physical difficulty and pain that we experience will be gone. And you are guaranteed that because the spirit of the living God is within you. It is your guarantee, no matter how tough life gets, no matter how difficult it gets, no matter how many times your legs get knocked out from underneath you, you will rise and live with the holy eternal God. The second consequence is this. It says in verse 12, it says, Therefore, brothers and sisters, we have an obligation, but it is not to the flesh to live according to it. For if you live according to the flesh, you will die. But if by the Spirit you put to death the misdeeds of the body, you will live. So it says that we have a debt. So the other consequence of the Spirit living within us, of giving us life, of, of paying our penalty, of, of remaining with us day in and day out, moment in and moment out, of assuring us of the love of God that is absolutely poured over us, of the mercy and the grace that is unending, that we have a debt and obligation to be paid. Now, let's be very clear. Paul's not changing things up. He's not saying that we paid anything in advance for that. Remember, he took us right when we were sinners walking our own way. He is not saying that we lose it ever. We never lose it. It is ours. It is guaranteed by the Spirit of God who cannot change yesterday, today, or tomorrow. He's the same God. He does not change. So our salvation, our, our transformation, our regeneration, our mortification, it is all guaranteed guaranteed by the presence of the Holy Spirit in our lives. 
But now because of that, we now live as spirit-led people, seeking spirit-led choices, speaking, seeking a spirit-led life. And so we put to death the things of our flesh. It means we're now on God's side. And we, with the help of the Holy Spirit, will put to death our flesh. And what does that mean? That means when the evil side of us, when the selfish side of us creeps up, we hold it captive to the thoughts and the knowledge of what a spirit-led life is, and we say, uh-uh, and we cut it off right at the legs. Christ said, for those who will come after me will have to pick up their cross to follow me, literally crucifying on a daily moment-by-moment basis their old life. Now, the Spirit is not a tool that we pull out of our pockets to go, yeah, fight your old nature. No. The Spirit is what empowers us. The Spirit is what leads us. The Spirit is what guides us. The Spirit is what tells us that this is of our old selfish nature and this is of our righteous one. This is of the enemy. This is of your Father. And so we, through the fight and through the power of the Spirit, we put to death that which is not of the Holy Spirit. That which is not God's. We put to death that which is of the sinful nature. And we go about that all day long. Well, how do we do that? How do we enter into this life with the Spirit? And how do we live with the Spirit? And how do we put to death and practice putting to death that old nature? The very first thing we do is we need to be in the Word of God, learning what righteousness and holiness is. We need to be in the Word of God so we can learn the voice of the Holy Spirit. We need to be in the word of God so that we can learn to measure that which is right and holy and that which is not. I sit down with people all the time. And if this happened to you, one of you, just thank you for sitting down with me. But I sit down with people all the time and, and people say, well, well, I got this situation and that situation in my life. As we begin to walk through it, I'm like, that's an unholy action. That's a selfish response you're having. That is, no, 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 they're doing I go, no, no, we're not here talking about them. We're here talking about you. You are a follower of Christ. We're going to talk about your response. We're going to talk to you about what the Spirit is already talking to you about. We're going to talk to you about what the Spirit is already pointing you towards, which is why we're here talking. And that is not holy and godly and righteous. And person after person will look back at me and go, really? I didn't think it was that bad. I didn't, I didn't, I didn't think that was really wrong. I'm like, oh, well, it's... It's not wrong if you're following the flesh, if you're following your nature, if you're following your law, your rule, if you're following life made by you. But if we're following the holy God, if we're following righteousness, if we're following holiness, if we're seeking to be the son or daughter that God declares us to be, then yeah, it's out of place for you. You see, we got to learn that by being in the word. we got to learn that by, by understanding and how to compare in my life we got to learn that by exposing our flesh to the Word of God. And we got to learn that by learning to hear the voice of the Spirit. When you're in the Word of God, you will learn the voice of the Spirit. People ask me, like I'm sure they've asked you, how do you hear God? Read the Word of God. No, no, how do you, how do you read? Read the Word of God. Read it a lot. And suddenly, you're going to find yourself listening to God. You're going to find yourself hearing the voice of God. I can't tell you how it happens. It's a faithful response from the spirit that's within you. But the more you're in the word of God, which is the word, right? It's his words. The more you're in the scriptures, the more you become comfortable with the voice of God. And the more you begin to distinguish the voice of God from the burrito you ate last night, right? 
we know who's talking to us. And it is the spirit of the living God. So that's the first way. The second way is we make the commitment. So the first way is we're in the word of God learning what it is that is holy and righteous and learning who God is, learning his voice. The, the second way we do is we make the commitment to a holy life. We make the commitment to a righteous life. We make the commitment to a spirit-led life. Daily, daily we make that commitment. I'm going to live my life according to the spirit today. The spirit's already calling you to it. The spirit's already doing that work. We need to make the commitment. We all know that's true. Look, man, you see me up here every day. Some weeks, my belly's a little bit bigger than other weeks. Why? Because I didn't make very good commitments that week. And this guy knows how to eat, trust me. And I can eat a lot. And when I make the right commitments to exercise and do the right things and eat the right way, that's a lot healthier for my body. It's a good week. And then sometimes it's a terrible week. But it's always the case of me not making a commitment towards that which is good and right and instead making my commitment or my lack of commitment or even my care to live however I want to and however I feel in that moment. Our feelings will always lie and deceive us. That's why we start by every day while we're in the Word, making that commitment to righteousness and holiness. And finally, we literally become assassins. We become assassins. The first thing we do is we need to assassinate the sinful nature to the flesh. And I know that's kind of vulgar language. That's difficult language maybe. But, but we wouldn't. We seriously, we seriously would not allow somebody to just invade our home. We seriously would not sit there and allow somebody to attack our family. To go, hey, yeah, wipe them out. <laughs> Have a blast. We would never think to do something like that. We would fight with all that we have. And if it meant taking the life of another person before the life of our loved one could be taken, as we're fighting for literally the breath of our life, we would do it. But yet in our sinful nature, we somehow think that we have to be casual or that somehow the Lord's going to do all the work without us being involved or that somehow we can just go, ah, oh, I hope that one doesn't really sneak up like it seems to be doing. <laughs> no, we kill it. We destroy it. And when it rears its head, as Jesus said, if your right hand caused you to sin, cut it off. Now don't go cut your hand off, but cut off that thing which you're seeking to grab with your right hand. Like get rid of it. It says if your right eye caused you to sin, gouge it out. Don't gouge out your eye. Get rid of the thing that's causing you to sin. That thing that you want to really look at, that you want to really dive into. You know, the, the website, the, the thing on your phone, the pornography, whatever it happens to be. You want to, you just want to look. You don't have to gouge your eye out. Turn the stupid computer off. Right? That's what it means to be, to say, I want to be a slave to righteousness and to Christ and to the things the Spirit's calling me to do. And I want to put to death the things of the sinful nature and the slave nature because I was bought at a price and I belong to Christ. And he gave me the Holy Spirit to lead me and guide me every single day towards truth and righteousness, not towards sin and death. And I want to live in that. I told you this was ambitious. I don't want to let you go without getting to this last point because it's a beautiful passage. Let's read Verses 14 and 17 together. For those who are led by the Spirit of God are the children of God. The Spirit you receive does not make you slaves so that you live in fear again. Rather, the Spirit you received brought about your adoption to sonship, and by Him we cry, Abba, Father. The Spirit Himself testifies with our spirit that we are God's children. Now, if we are children, then we are heirs heirs of God and co-heirs with Christ, if indeed we share in his sufferings in order that we may also share in his glory. 
How do we know that the Spirit's within us? It's because he's constantly confirming it. How do we know when it gets tough and we've made a bunch of mistakes that we're still his children because the Spirit is confirming us? What is the greatest weapon that we have against the old nature, against the flesh? It's the fact that we are sons and daughters and we've been being transformed into the likeness of the Father. And now what the Father wants becomes what we want. What the Father likes becomes what we like. What the Father desires starts to become what we desire. Right? We start to be that chip off the old block, if you will. Sons and daughters, you've been made heirs to the throne of God to receive all the blessings that Christ has received. You have been called into this most intimate relationship where the Spirit walks with you daily, never condemning you, but always seeking to transform you into the likeness of Christ. Never condemning you, but always giving you hope and peace. Never condemning you, but offering you life. Jesus said it was a life that's being offered in abundance. A life in the Spirit is one that it says in Galatians, there is no limit to. And what is there no limit to? There's no limit to the love that the Lord wants to lavish upon you or for you to give out. There's no limit to the joy that you can experience in this life or the joy that you can share. There's no limit to the peace or the hope. There's no limit to the kindness or the goodness or the gentleness. And there is no limit to the self-control that can be available in your life because you are sons and daughters of the living king. But this was never meant to be just knowledge. It was never meant to just be doctrine that you hang on to. It was literally meant to transform you from an emotional, personal, inside place. It was literally meant that you would not just be a book on a shelf with some doctrine written on you that you could pull off and be reminded of once in a while. Listen to the intimacy of the words that Paul chooses to use. And it says, the spirit you receive brought about your adoption. First of all, you were chosen. You were adopted. The spirit Spirit confirms over and over again that that adoption is final. It is complete, which is why he indwells you. The never-ending, all-eternal God indwells you to always confirm that you are his son or daughter. No matter how you feel, no matter how many mistakes you made, you are his son or his daughter. And so that confirmation of that adoption is always being affirmed and reaffirmed. And it says, and by him, because of that great truth, because of what the Spirit is doing in your life, we cry, Abba, Father. Could loosely be translated, Abba, Father, meaning Daddy God. It could loosely be translated, Daddy God. The reason why we say loosely is because that could have a lack of reverence, but there's no lack of reverence there. It is a most intimate term. It's an endearing term where we have complete access to the Father, and it's an emotional access. It's an intimacy that we rarely find anywhere else. It's one that is given to us by his lavishing love and grace and mercy upon us, accepting us when we didn't deserve to be accepted and then staying with us forever. And it is meant to be an emotional response that we would cry, Daddy God, that we would cry out in gratefulness, that we would cry out in utter surrender. You are my Father. And in that moment, we kill and destroy the sinful flesh and take on again the nature of a son or daughter of the living king. So the reality is, how does that work? The Spirit's guiding you every day of your life, every moment. On your face, those really difficult, dark times, the Spirit's calling you out. And if I'm just really honest, it's my life every day. Every day I battle just like you. 
to not choose the selfish, fleshly way. I have the same struggles and the same sin as you. And if we choose to anchor ourselves to any other identity, if we choose to anchor ourselves to the identity of, of what we do, or if we choose to anchor ourselves to the identity of that I'm a father or I'm a husband, we will fail because the reality is this. In some moments of our day, in some moments when we're being greatly tempted, in some moments where the flesh seems so strong, we are willing to give up on all the other identities of our life. We're willing to turn our back because sometimes I'm just sick and tired of being a pastor. Sometimes I'm just tired of being a husband. Sometimes being a dad is just so stinking difficult. I've made so many wrong decisions as a father. Sometimes I just don't want to do the battle anymore. And those reasons aren't enough to keep pursuing a Christ-like life. There's just not enough. And to do the right thing and to resist holiness, and, and, I mean, and, and to choose holiness and resist, resist the flesh, sometimes just saying I'm a pastor of this church isn't enough. Sometimes just saying, hey, if I go down this road and I just abandon all the things, and if I just, if I just run down this road for a week or two, maybe nobody will find out, but if they do, it's going to jack some people up, and I'm going to go, eh, you know what? I, I just can't do it anymore. I'm just a man. I'm just like everybody else, and I just, I just want to be about me for a while. Yeah because I am just like you. If that's my identity, I'll lose it. Because I, I, I want to be rude sometimes. I want to be mean sometimes. I want to tell the person, even in our own church, who is just berating me about something they don't like about church. <laughs> I'll tell them to jump in a lake. And the Spirit's screaming after me. You are my son. I gave my life for you. I will teach you. I will show you. I will give you what you need. You don't have it in yourself right now, I know. But you're mine. You're mine. And I won't let you go. Follow me, son. I'll take you to where you need to be. Follow me, son. In that moment, those are the most beautiful words I could ever hear. Because he's saying, I know. I know you're not perfect. I am. I know, you, I know you're having difficult making it. My strength is sufficient. My grace will overcome. My mercy is yours. Walk with me. That's the identity I have to rest in. Not my other names or the other badges I wear. We've got to know that we're sons and daughters of the king bought at the price of his flesh that he paid on behalf of ours. So who are we? sons and daughters, because we belong to Christ. And that's why we gather together, to learn more about what that means. That's why we gather together to worship. That's why we gather together in large groups and small groups, so that we can grow in that knowledge and that understanding. That's why we gather together, because we have to grow up as children of the living God. We have to learn his voice. And we have to follow him. That's our part. So, church, we gather together, we grow together, and there's all sorts of people in your life that, know that they need to know that there's freedom. And so we take that message and we go out and we share it so that others might live, not just us. All right?
So this is us. You belong to Christ. Father, thank you. Thank you for who you are and what you do. Thank you for the reality of how you walk with us through our most difficult moments and our most selfish thoughts and, and the real us. You never turn your back on us, you never abandon us, and you never leave us. And we praise you for that. Thank you for your strength and your power in our lives. And thank you that you indwelled us as the promise that we will always be yours. In your name we pray. Amen.